The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. 21.20 is the time out with the old, in with the new, and the new in this context is Dr. Linda Ngubengomo, CEO Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. She's a friend of the show because she has previously even been a hashtag Tuesday takeover guest at the time she was wearing the cap as CEO of Love Life. Since she has gone on to do great things, including but not limited to, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And now, as a mother, she's talking to, of, and about children. Siswam, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Linda Ngubengomo. Hey, Puti, thank you for having me on the show, and good evening to the listeners. Thank you very much for being here and for honoring us. Of course, we're talking about important things, a vulnerable community in the broader context of the challenges of the nation, children recently in the position. Just give us a snapshot of some of the things that are closest to your heart now, now that you are at the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, and some of the things that perhaps, not because you underestimated them, but you simply didn't think the issues were that deep in relation to children in this country. Broad brush strokes. Well, I didn't realize the extent to which, as a country, we are behind in realizing child rights and child rights being really um, an end-to-end approach that says a child is a human being from the time that they land in the world Mm. and they've got certain rights. Uh, Their rights don't start when they're 18. Their rights start from the day that they're born. And it's just uh, gobsmacking to realize the extent to which we raise children in our homes when we're not aware of the rights that those children have. Why? So I really think that's been the biggest um, eye-opening thing, the things which one took for granted, uh, working with older kids, and then when you're working with them from day zero of their lives, you realize there's a lot that we still need to do for children's rights to be realized. Granted, in your term or time, you're not going to tick every single box as it pertains to the backlogs perhaps then that we need to service in order to restore to the extent possible the semblance of dignity that children are worth and to attain a sense of accomplishment of critical development indicators that make it easier for a society down the line for those children who when they are adults to plow back into the system as opposed to be complicated drainers to the system. I can't imagine many children in this country grow up without the sense of hopelessness that over time becomes aggression, becomes then Mm. consumers of the antisocial spaces of the country. Now, how would you characterize in the short time you've been in the position are the key and or critical indicators that irrespective of where we are as a nation, whatever else we ever do, these three or four things we must get right, we must get right now. Otherwise, this is the reality of the consequence of not getting these things right. So if I was to focus on two, the first one would be child safety and protection. Um, And that's something that is within the control of every adult in the country. It doesn't matter whether you are uh, 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 coming from um, 
an economic background of affluence or one of struggle, children can be protected. Mm -hmm. And if you look at where we are as as a country, um, you know, there's a recent study that was done of the child protection systems in 50 countries. And what that study showed is that the child protection system in South Africa is an exploitive system, meaning that vulnerable children in South Africa are easily targeted for exploitation. And what does exploitation look like? It looks like child labor. It looks like child trafficking, street children. Uh, It looks like domestic violence and violence against children. So if you think of the violence where we rank as a country in terms of violence, that has got an effect on children in the country. That's the first thing where we need to be an... um, a country where every single adult is taking responsibility for the safety of children. And unfortunately, we're very far from there. I mean, I was just listening to the news earlier on, and they were talking about a father who beat up his five-year-old child to a point where she's lost. (coughs) That already tells you that we've got a crisis, and it's a crisis that needs every adult to put their hands on deck and and start saying, not in my name mm-hmm. will a child be abused in any manner, in any manner shape, or form. To- the second thing that we need to be looking at is the issue of food security when it comes to children. And food security when it comes to children means that from the time that a mother is expectant, uh, a child there is adequate nutrition for the growing baby there is adequate nutrition when the baby is born, and there is adequate nutrition in the developmental years of that child. Mm-hmm. In the absence of that, we're going to, we find that children are born underweight, and once a baby is born underweight and there isn't immediate interventions, then that child does not meet the developmental uh, milestones both from a physical and cognitive uh, perspective, and they're going to struggle throughout their lives. So we need, I'd love to see a South Africa that is saying that 27.5% of children that are malnourished become zero, and the children are given a fighting chance of being able to keep up with their peers uh, simply from uh, being able to get adequate nutrition from the time that they, their parents expect them, the mothers expect them to, you know, up until they're about five years old. If we miss it there, then we have just put another hurdle for children to cross. We're in conversation with Dr. Linda Ngobengomo, CEO Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. We're in conversation with her about Children's Day Dialogue in celebration of National Children's Day. Now, the government of South Africa declared the first Saturday of November as National Children's Day. This dialogue is the catalyst event for a six-week-long campaign aimed at influencing the national agenda for children to address current and emerging adversities that children are being subjected to by celebrating relevant recent gains for children and youth, specifically the national progress made towards the realization of the rights of children. When speaking to a lawyer in dimension rights, I'm inclined to go constitution. I'm inclined to go the Bill of Rights, and I'm inclined in the context of children to go 
section 28, which focuses on children, and specifically section 28.2 thereof, that says the best interests of the child should be maintained or sought after, as the case may be. Now, mm -hmm. how do we engage that conversation? First up, let's talk about the dialogue, the six weeks, and what we will be talking about in relation to what is yet to be discussed for the purposes of celebrating, and I think it is important to celebrate gains, but also to have the stark realities around safety and food security and other backlogs that need to be serviced. So the dialogue, uh, as, the, as the Children's Fund, we had the national dialogue on Thursday, um, and our dialogue for the purposes of that particular event was focusing on child safety and protection. And that is where we started to look at issues like, so what does safety look like? And who defines safety, the safety of a child? And a lot of times, we put children in homes with our families because we believe that our mothers are the best people to take care of our children. But we've not created the time to understand whether my mother's home is actually the safest place for my child. And what we find, as you would know, that children are actually abused by people that they live with or people that they know, and yet the parent or the caregiver would have put a child in that environment in the name of, that's a safe place for my child. And so it becomes important then for caregivers to understand the extent to which children are safe in the places where they leave them. Because children, as you would know, and as COVID showed us, were counting had 600 pregnancies of children, uh, you know, under a certain age. They were being raped at home because those pregnancies were took, taking part when there was lockdown. And we've not seen a situation where cul uh, culprits are being, you know, brought to book and those children's rights to justice have actually been realized. So in that dialogue, we were really saying to ourselves, we've got to, 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 to draw a line in the sand somewhere and say, this is the baseline. And our baseline is saying we've got a child exploitive child protection system. What then do we now need to be doing to move from that kind of system to a system that where the, the rights of the child are the center of everything that happens from a home perspective to community, to schools, and through the different government systems that would lead to the realization of child well-being. My final question will be what are the successes, what are the gains, what are the things that we as a nation can hold our heads high about because these are the gains we can, irrespective of circumstance, proudly hail as something that has moved the needle forward. I'm going to ask that question, I'm going to ask it later. But I'm going to probe you now and I'm going to probe you deliberately only because I, I want to zone in on something. Please disagree with me even if you will. The rights-based approach, of course, is noble and it has values embedded therein because it stems and flows from the Constitution, and I've highlighted parts of it. Mm -hmm. Is that the approach over a values-based approach in the context of community values where within the community value system there's a premium that is placed on the child relative to 
as you have referred. The joy that is inherent in the new coming of a person, the birth Mm -hmm. of a child in this world, should a values-based approach perhaps not come before, not Trump, come before a rights-based approach? Here's an example. The values of Ubuntu and the notions that attach to Ubuntu. It's almost, as I understand it, an impenetrable system that irrespective of what happens as a consequence of the values-based approach, rights-based approach, whatever approach after that, if the value of Ubuntu is accepted, implemented, and given its rightful due, when you engage the rights-based approach, it's that much easier to implement. Because what are we dealing with here? We are dealing with how we as a people engage our values as a society and children central to this society. For everything we're doing, we are doing for them. What are your thoughts on that? And please disagree with me if, I'm, if I've lost it or my characterization is flawed. So if you think of what a values-based approach would look like, if you think in the context of Ubuntu, which says, I am because you are. You know, um, the Shona language puts it very nicely. When you greet a person in the Shona language of Zimbabwe and you say to them, how are you? The response literally translates to, I am well, only if you are well. So if you look at that values-based approach that Mm -hmm. would say, I am well only if a child is well taken care of. I am well if I'm protecting a child even though it's not my child. I am well if I'm making sure that child is taken care of, um, is fed. I think we would actually be realizing that uh, the children's rights. So I don't think it's an either or or this one before the other. Mm -hmm. I think it's really about let's go back to who we have always been. What have been our values? Which values have ever been around um, abuse and have been around maltreatment and have been around not taking care of the lesser than you? So I don't think that, that there is a disconnect between the two. I think it's really the way in which um, when we now talk about Section 28, children's rights become a legal framework when actually there was a point in time when we were living that out without having to be legislated to do so. Correct. I'm minded to reflect on what I said I would ask you, the successes and the gains and the things that irrespective of the nature of the conversation as has happened, we are still proud to have only after this question. Sorry, only before this question. I'm worried about children that are forced to beg at street corners with their mothers. Mm. These kids are exposed to all manner of hazards, including fumes from cars, inclement weather, etc. Have we hardened our hearts and are simply looking away? Dr. Philemon Mahuma, consultant, family physician in Midstream. Thank you so much, Phil. Much appreciated. To be fair and to be honest, and it breaks my heart to even say this, there are times where, as I approach the robots, I try and time them so that they are green so that I can just drive through. Or I do look away. Or I roll up the window. It has come to that point for me because it's going to happen at every robot for so long as I'm driving the car. I'm invited to engage this mm. question. So it's an incredibly difficult one and probably one that certainly for me just tells me of my being devoid, so devoid 
of empathy, if not humanity altogether. I am absolutely one of those bad people, Phil. Doc, your response? Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, and I think it's really a function of when you see something often, you eventually be cope by becoming desensitized to it. So, yeah, the children in the streets are an issue that breaks one's heart. But one then has to ask the question that says, how do we capacitate the mothers to be able to earn an income in a manner that does not require them to be begging with children? So it goes back to how are we capacitating? How have we, create, how have we created an environment that enables people to, uh, to, to be economically active in one way or another without having to use children to beg? And I don't have the answer for that. I think before, who is an economist, would have been the a person to help us unlock what are the things that we now need to be doing and doing soon if we are to stem the tide of transgenerational poverty and the deprivations that come with it. Short answer, one minute. The winds and the winds and the many winds in relation to South Africa and children, progress and development. We've got a child rights framework. We've got policies. Uh, we are seeing a move of the, of, of the Office of the Rights of the Child to the presidency. And my prayer, my desperate prayer, is that with the office residing in the presidency, when that migration has happened, we will have a president who is a champion of the children. Because for us to really start to making inroads, it needs to be located at that level of um, of, of focus mm -hmm. and to be constantly on the radar and ensuring that the children's rights are, are realized. As always, Mama Chomi Sisi, Dr. Linda Ngubengoma, a pleasure chatting to you. Much appreciated. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you very much and congratulating, congratulations to you on conquering Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, certainly, we are conquerors, all right. 2138, everybody, <laughs> after the break, conversation on land.